I think sometimes uh, we just kind of assume we know each other, and it's always good uh, when you're trying to have uh, some relationship with each other, be family in some way, to know something about each other a little bit. So I thought I would uh, share something with you today about myself that might help you a little bit. And part of it is that uh, there's a reason uh, I have never been asked to be part of the praise team. And I'm going to demonstrate now. Susan's our musician, but um, I want to just show a little something about a, a piano. That... Beautiful notes. You put them together, makes a beautiful sound. But there can be times when you don't get them right. It's not so good, right? But the, but the wonderful thing is that you can move one finger at a time. Eventually, you get them back into harmony, right? Just by moving one finger at a time, all comes back into harmony. All that's for a reason. Uh, God created everything. He created it all in harmony. It was the way he wanted it. He brought light from darkness. He brought order from chaos. He created humanity on the sixth day after creating everything wonderfully. And every day he'd stop and say, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he created humanity in his own image. And that's what Genesis uh, chapter 1, beginning with verse 26, tells us. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so humanity was created in this image of God, meaning that God, whatever God was here, that somehow some of what God was here became part of what humanity is here. We were created in some part, at least with the character of God. And if we look at the scripture, we could say lots about the character of God, but at least we can say the character of God is love. The scripture confirms that. The part of the character of God is righteousness, that God is right, and he does right. That God's righteousness leads to justice. And again, all that God does is right and just and to be praised. And because of God's justice, uh, God gives peace. God is peace, and he gives peace. And so then, having the character of God, we can be created to be the agents of God. God blessed humanity and said, Now, humanity, you go out and take my place in the world, and you rule over it. Not rule over it in the sense of just doing whatever you want to do, but I've created order, and I have put righteousness and justice in it that brings peace. Now you keep that order and let that peace prevail in my name. And so we were to oversee the creation with the character of God. <clears throat> All relationships were in harmony in creation. 
All the notes were just the way they were supposed to be. In harmony with God, there was openness, uh, nothing to hide. Humanity has nothing to hide from God, and, and, uh, and it was beautiful. But humans were uh, uh, in good relationship with themselves. No guilt, and therefore no shame. Again, they could be very open. The first family lived together and worked together, and, and, and they uh, fulfilled God's uh, intention for them as a team. And all of creation was in harmony. Everything that God created lived and worked together. But something happened that theologically we call the fall. This is when humanity, this is when darkness re-entered. This is when chaos began to uh, pull everything apart. When humanity chose, rather than live in the image of God, decided we'd like to have our own image. We don't want to be the agents of God. We would rather be God. We would like to be in control of everything. And rather than serve, we'd kind of like to be served. And so um, this chaos then meant that we began to live as agents of ourselves as the center of everything. And guess what? No surprise, we kind of made a mess of it, didn't we? Uh, we live with that mess every day. We keep shoveling it all over everywhere, but it's there. And so then we, it's no surprise then we have broken relationships. Our, our, uh, the, the first family, after their sin, uh, their relationship with God was broken. They ran and hid in fear of God now rather than the pleasure of his presence. They felt shame within themselves and even hid from each other because of their guilt. As we read more about the first family, they began to grow. Uh, they began to be jealous of each other, commit murder, and fall apart. Uh, as communities were begun, uh, uh, it was God's intention all along that we live in community, but as community began, uh, people again began to be jealous, uh, covetous, uh, they would steal, they would lie, they would cheat. They would, they would make each other work for them as slaves. And if they really couldn't get what they wanted, they would go to war and kill whoever stood in the way of them getting it. Uh, it's a pretty continuous story, isn't it? We look at the rest of humanity, and we kind of ignore what's going on in the rest of humanity because we need to exploit them or abuse them or use them for our own gain, for our own pleasure. If we don't do that, then we don't get all that we want out of life. Let's get on the top no matter what it takes, right? No matter who, you have to walk over to get there. And then all of nature, the same begins to happen. The exploitation of nature, the abuse of nature for our own gain, our own pleasure. So what is a little sparrow if it's keeping me from getting the job I dream of having? But God created the little sparrow, did he not? And it brought joy to him, and he said it was good. But we've lost sight. Our relationship with God is broken and our relationship with everything else as well. But God had a plan from the very beginning and he began to put that plan to place and that was redemption. Redemption is bringing something back to the way it might have been to begin with, to restore it, to make it better than it was. So God's bringing his whole creation, the whole creation, back to his original intention, back to harmony, back to light. Back to hope. And that redemption begins with humanity. It's humanity that brought the fall that affected the whole of creation and caused the chaos to come back. 
And now it's humanity that must be redeemed first to bring order and hope back to the creation. And that's what God's doing. He called Abraham. And Abraham became the father of Israel. And Israel became the instrument of redemption. And Jesus was born of Israel, the Son of God, Messiah. And he became the instrument, the, the ultimate instrument of redemption. And Jesus called his church. We are a part of that to be the instruments of redemption. That humanity would be redeemed. And through humanity, as all creation cries out for the moment of humanity's redemption, Paul tells us, he is working through us to redeem his creation. And that means the restoration of relationships. The restoration of relationship with God. To, to, to remove the sin and re, to remove the, the guilt and all the things that have broken our relationship with God so that we can be at peace with him. And we can love him as he loves us. To be at peace with ourselves so that, that we don't always look in the mirror every day and wonder who is that person and why am I in his or her body? What's going on here? With the family, it's a, family is a beautiful thing that God created for us, but our humanity is such that the people very closest to us are the ones that get the greatest impact from our brokenness, aren't they? It's a shame, but it's true. And this happens to all of our, us and all of our families. But God wants to redeem those families and, and take care of that brokenness so that we once again can love each other and enjoy each other as God had planned it. And the same thing with community, the communities around us. We don't have to be political. Uh, we don't have to, to strive for power, and we don't have to compete with each other. And all of humanity to care about what happens to other people, the choices that I make, that I be concerned at what impact that has on people, people I don't even know, people who live in places I've never been or, or, or really don't even know where they exist, but they are being impacted by every decision I make and not just write them off and say, who cares, as long as they get what I want, but begin to care about everyone that God has created who now is in the image of God and all of nature, to care about it as God created it, so it once again be the place God created it to be. And it begins with us being restored to the image of God. Humans again uh, desiring to have the character of God and living in that character and humans, again, being the agents of God, bringing his redemption uh, to a broken world. Now, the obvious question might be, and think about this as, uh, okay, that's good. God created, and then humanity fall, fell and took all the rest of creation with us, and we're going off the edge, and God is redeeming. But what's the evidence of that redemption? What can we see? We see brokenness everywhere, everywhere we look. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm an, another generation, I'm not the greatest technological buff in the world, but I, I'm going to try to read the headlines from the Washington Post. It says, Israeli leader will take Obama to task on Iran. We all know the Middle East, what's happening there, what it's like. We wake up every day with it. Is there life beyond earth? Do we even want to know? The idea that we might not find E.T., but we might actually contact Klingons. You have to go watch Star Trek to understand that. Private police carry guns and make arrests, and their ranks are swelling. People untrained to be peace officers are now being given guns and uh, using them. Let's see here. Russians rally in memory of slain Putin critic. I am not afraid. Unraveling in one of the world's largest countries. Um, 
The fear of Ebola led to slayings, and a whole village was punished um, in, in Guinea uh, at, in, in retribution. Uh, if the travel agent industry says a policy is for your own good, don't buy it. Uh, we'd like to think that we have each other's best interests in mind, wouldn't we? We would. Unpaid overtime, on call, at all hours, grueling work weeks, is this legal? We've been there, haven't we? <laughs> we know that one. It's getting worse all the time, isn't it? it it's, it's hard just to even keep up sometimes with our jobs. And then uh, uh, there, there are a whole bunch of them uh, in here. Uh, there was one other one I was going to share with you. Um, oh, well, probably not there anymore. <laughs> they changed quickly. In Maryland, economic angst breaks through the veneer of a wealthy state. A lot of image going on in there. Images of this, images of that, underneath a different reality. Well, we could go on. Uh, on and on and on, there's no point. You understand what I'm saying. We can't get away from it. Everywhere brokenness that comes from our broken humanity, and we have to live with it. And that's what we see. We even see it sometimes within the people of God. Well, not just sometimes, probably a lot of the time. We even see it within the people of God, within what we call His church. So how can we expect that we, who are sometimes so broken, so very broken, to be the agents of redemption? What does God have in mind here? Well, today we'll come to the Lord's table. We call it the Lord's Supper. It remembers the night before Jesus died. He called His disciples together and had a Passover meal with them. And he, and he shared this with his disciples, these intimate moments. And, and, he, and he used it to say something to them about his cross, to spend time with them, and to help them be prepared for the future. It, it commemorated originally the Passover. That was when the people of Israel were uh, captives in Egypt. And, and Pharaoh didn't want to let them go because, uh, obviously, like today, uh, they were economically uh, a necessity for the Egyptian people, building their pyramids and palaces and storehouses and everything else. They needed all the free labor they could get. And so the, the plagues that God sent were to show the power of God, Yahweh, over the gods of Egypt. And the Passover was the ultimate in, in that demonstration. Uh, that night, Moses was told the death angel would come and visit every single house in Egypt. And the houses of, of Israel were to take a lamb and kill it and put the door on the blood post. Uh, the door on the blood post. The blood on the doorpost, sorry. The, the blood, and every time the death angel would come to a house with the blood on the doorpost, that death angel would, guess what, pass over that house and death would not visit it. Okay. And, and, and when that visited every household in Egypt, including the household of Pharaoh, who was a god, and his firstborn died, who was God-in-waiting, that kind of like said, okay, the Egyptians said, okay, get them out of here as fast as you can, we're done with this. And God set them free and brought them back into the land of promise. And so Jesus, taking that Passover meal, picked up the bread that was on the table and said, this is my body broken for you, take and eat. He said, share, he shared this with them. He says, share this with me my body. And then he took the cup, and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, shed for the forgiveness of sins. And he said the same thing, take and drink, share this with me, my blood poured out on the cross. It reminds us of something very critical in understanding why and how God is doing this, and that is God's love shown through Jesus, the Son of God, who came and took on human form, became us, 
and died for us the death we should have died as a sacrifice for our sins, that God demonstrated sacrificial servant love. That's the depths of it. And not just for us, but for the whole of creation, that God might undo what we had done. The book of Revelation says, ultimately, the goal is a new heaven and a new earth. Everything brought back to the way God intended it to be. At, at AB, we have a, there's a poster on one of the doors somebody put up with a, uh, with a quotation attributed to uh, Martin Luther King, Jr. And it says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hatred cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. There are two, two uh, this is a generalization, I, I admit it right away. In a sermon, you got about 30 minutes, maybe 20, whatever it takes, and you can't say everything about everything, so you have to sometimes summarize it, okay, to get it across. This is a generalization, but we have most basically two motivations for things we do in life, too. It's either fear of punishment or the desire for reward, right? It's either fear of punishment or the desire of reward. Now, there are a lot of things in between there, but I'm just boiling it down to necessities. Since the fall, there's been sort of a distortion that masks the image of God in humanity. Our world is leaning on punishment, upon fear, upon pain, as a way to motivate each other to do what we want done. We see it all. I read, you've read the headlines. I read some of them to you. It's all over, everywhere. Fear of punishment, fear of pain. Even in, among God's people, we too often use guilt and fear as our primary persuasion to do the things we think need to be done. Now, I was just excited today that didn't happen, did it? It was the right beautiful, beautiful message of, of hope and being part of hope. That's the way it should be, right? So we'll count CBC out of this and just say too often in other churches, it's fear. We want people to feel guilty that they're not doing what we think they should do and mask the guilt upon them until somehow they say, I just can't take guilt anymore. i got to relieve the pain. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Just leave me alone. <laughs> okay? Sometimes for us, the, re the, the, the bottom line meaning for being saved is avoiding the punishment of hell. Now, I, I know that's all very real, and I'm not saying it's not, but is that the real reason to follow Jesus? Just to avoid the punishment of hell. We're moved by fear to avoid that. And too often, because of that, our approach to people we call sinners, remember uh, Jesus had trouble with this. The Pharisees called lots of people sinners that Jesus embraced, ate with, spent all his time with, loved, and, uh, and, and worked to redeem. But sometimes we forget all that, and so we... We start categorizing them as sinners, people on the outside, and we're on the inside. We say we love the sinner but hate the sin, but I'm not sure always that our words and actions bear that out. Sometimes we will isolate them with shame. We will try to scare them into doing what we think they should be doing. And then if it doesn't turn out the way we want it, we'll just walk away and say, well, I tried. That's not love. That's not redemption. That's not what God's talking about. In Romans 8, 28 through 30, the other passage I chose today, it says that, uh, Paul says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, 
who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. There's that word again, image. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, relationship. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Return to the image of God, that they might shine like God shines in glory. The clear goal in, in, in Romans, when it gets to the Romans chapter 8, is not simply the avoidance of hell, but it is being reformed, transformed, conformed to the image of Jesus the Son. And I'm not saying again that, the, that, that sin is unimportant. Paul makes a big deal out in the beginning and says that's what's caused the whole problem. But he says ultimately... Redemption from that is being remade in the image of Christ. We are moved by the promise of God's light and love. That's a far greater motivation. And it's one that lasts much longer. Because if fear is used for motivation, as soon as we don't fear something, you know, what does it mean? It's restoration from the inside out. It's like the piano notes. You conform the piano notes to, the, uh, to a harmonious scale and you get beautiful music, right? So the person playing it actually plays the notes that conform to that and you get beautiful music. And God wants us to be conformed to Jesus that we might be beautiful music to his world. It's a it brings a restoration of our relationship with God. Not merely in a judicial fashion as important as that is that we might be declared righteous by the forgiveness we receive through Jesus on the cross, that is extremely important. That's the, it doesn't happen without that. But in a greater reality, God is calling us to be restored in relationship with him, not just judicially, but as family, as friends, in a real day-to-day, honest-to-goodness relationship with the creator of the universe, as our heavenly father and we his family. It's being made right with God more than, more than just getting a ticket to heaven. And, I, and again, don't get, me, don't, don't get me wrong. I don't mean that that isn't something that's important. But it means being transformed with the Spirit of God so heaven comes to us here on earth. Not just waiting, as important as that might be, and glorious as it will be to be transformed to see Jesus. And John tells us, be made like him. As he is, we shall be. That's beautiful. But why wait? He's saying that can begin now. That resemblance to the image of God being centered in the love of God, it's not sentimental, like a greeting card slurpiness. And I know every once in a while, a little bit of slurpiness is fun. But love is so much more than that. When we look at the, at the, at the Lord's table and we look at the bread and the cup and remind of Jesus' body that he came into our world, became human, and sacrificed himself for us. His blood, his life poured out on the cross so that he was laid in a tomb, dead for us. This is tough sacrificial love. This is go out of our way to bear the family name love. It's loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself love. 
When Paul talks about God working everything together for good, the good that God brings out of all this involves our real lives. Working within each of us to recreate us in his image so that all things that happen to us aren't there so that we can succeed better. It's not like God, okay, work some good out here so I can do better. It's not about getting what we want so God, life will be a little more pleasurable to me. It's not about being relieved from something that is torturous because maybe torturous like Jesus' cross is really the cross we're to bear. And it isn't just so we get our desires. Uh, too often we stop there, wanting God to change the circumstances of our lives so our lives can be better. But the good he talks about here is taking all those circumstances of our lives and using them to remold us in the image of Christ. That's the real good that he works out of everything, is that we become more like Jesus each and every day we live. He says that Jesus might be the firstborn and that we might follow him in the same family heritage. Sisters and brothers of Christ. So we might walk down the street one day and somebody say, Hey, you two look so much alike, you must be brothers and sisters. And we say, Yeah, we are. Yes, in our world, that's a long shot, isn't it? I mean, seriously. I imagine when people looking upon Jesus and his ragtag bunch of followers, fishermen, zealots, and others, and they looked at them and heard Jesus preach, they thought it was a long shot. I'm sure they did. And the people watching the early church fight against the culture, fight against the powerful Roman Empire, which had conquered everybody, and just laughed in the face of anybody that stood up against it, looked at the early church as they were being persecuted and said, that's a long shot. Through the ages, people have looked at the people of God and seen us stand up for what is right and noble and honorable, love in the face of those who laugh at love as weak and impossible. And they've said, yeah, it's a long shot. And even today, maybe even in this room, there are many of us who have struggled so much with our own humanity, with the humanity of the world in which we live, and we read the words and we want them to take them seriously, and we do for a moment, but then it sinks in and we say, boy, that's a long shot. Today, Jesus invites you to his table, his table. He asks you to share the bread that stands for his body given for the world. Take and eat. He asks you to share the cup that stands for his life poured out for this world. Take and and drink. He asks you to share his love for a broken world that put him on that cross willingly to bear his image, his character in that broken world, to be his agents of redemption in that broken world, to address the darkness with the light of God, to address the hatred with the love of God. And to address the hope, the despair with the only hope there is, the hope that comes from knowing God as our Father. How will you respond today when Jesus gives you that invitation to come to his table? Let us pray.